1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now, here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
2: Well, welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. We are so excited to have our guest today. You know, I live in the state of California, and though I work in states across the country with the Go Green initiative, I'm happy always happy to report all the great things that are going on in my home state of California. And today we are joined by the chairman of the California Integrated Waste Management Board, Margo Reed-Brown, and she is a, a true leader in California. And as we all know, uh, California oftentimes leads the rest of the country in a number of environmental initiatives and programs. And Margo is a member of Governor Schwarzenegger's Climate Action Team, so she's really at the vortex of all of the public policy making that's going on in, in California. Just this week, President Obama signed off on legislation to increase fuel efficiency standards in the U.S., and that legislation actually began in Governor Schwarzenegger's office with his team. So we're going to be talking with, with Margot Reed-Brown, and we are so excited to have her back on Go Green Radio. She was with us before in December. Welcome back, Chairman Brown. We're glad to have you. Hi, Jill. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, this was quite a big week for California in many ways, (laughs) but on the most positive note, we saw our governor in D.C. basically leading the charge for auto-emission standards that the president just signed into law. In general, what are uh, the uh, environmental leaders in Sacramento feeling about that right now? Well, you know,
3: it is a tremendous victory uh, for California and especially for the governor and the Air Resources Board has long fought the battle to try and get waivers um, from the federal government to implement the bill that the governor signed into law. So this is a great victory, and California is leading the nation. Um, we we had led the charge with several other states to uh, impose stricter standards on auto emissions, and uh, as you said, it's a, it's a great time for California.
2: It really is. It really, really is. And now California, it seems to me like, and I've lived here for a long time. I'm a native Illinoisan, but I've lived in California most of my adult life. And it seems like just in the last few years, we've really come a long way in a short amount of time on environmental public policy issues. From day one, Governor Schwarzenegger never wavered on his commitment to a clean, green California. What are some of the, the accomplishments that you've seen uh the governor and his staff make that you are most proud of?
3: Well I think the one that really the governor is going to hang his hat on and his is his legacy is A B thirty two, the Global Warming Solutions Act. And you know, our Cabinet Secretary, Linda Adams at Cal EPA, travels all over the world talking about this legislation that California passed. And it really has set the standard and we see neighboring states, we've got the Western Climate Initiative. We partnered with our um, neighbors across the border in Canada, and we're really looking at significant changes here in the United States and, and North America in helping to combat climate change. And I think that is the most significant piece of environmental legislation. But, you know, it, it, there's so much that follows along with it. Um, you know, every uh, state agency that has an opportunity to contribute, um, we have the Climate Action Team, which you mentioned um, briefly, which is comprised of several agencies, across state government to help implement um, this aggressive legislation, AB 32. So, you know, everything from green buildings to auto emissions to um, uh, public transportation um, to recycling, which is what we do, methane capture at landfills. We're looking at the agricultural sector and methane and, and um, integrating methane digesters um, at dairies to help, that way, so it really is a cross state government effort.
2: Well, and it really—I mean—that that comes from an integrated vision, and I really do credit the governor uh, for having that vision, really from day one. And you mentioned California State EPA uh, Secretary uh, Linda Adams traveling mm-hmm. all over the world. In fact, she and I were sitting next to each other in Beijing on Earth Day. <laughs> it was you <laughs> we were, we were on that trip. Good. Yeah, we were at the China Entrepreneurs Club uh, Second Annual Green Business Summit, uh-huh. and she and I were both there last year. We sat together this year, and uh, it was it was really great to have that much representation from California. You know, the governor's term is going to expire next year. What do you think he and his climate action team? will be able to achieve during his final year and a half in office. And maybe first we should back up and explain more to our Go Green listeners what the Climate Action Team actually is.
3: Well, the Climate Action Team is uh, comprised of mostly the heads of agencies who have measures that they're responsible for in um, the AB 32 and the scoping Plan. Um, The Scoping Plan was released and adopted by the Air Resources Board last year, which looked to 171 or 174 million metric tons of CO2E um, reductions by 2050. And uh, the Climate Action Team is the cross-integration of state government and implementation of how we're going to achieve those reductions. Um, so it's comprised of the Energy Commission, uh, Kelly PA, um, the forestry sector, agricultural sector, um, state and consumer services, and, um, you know, I think we are working on a long-term plan. I don't know that anybody believes that this is a sprint. This is a marathon, and so we're in it for the long haul, and I think what um, – we can look for in the next year is really laying a solid foundation. I think that the um, U.S. EPA decision and, and the governor's victory this week um, really signaled that we are on a path and a course for success and in our implementation efforts. And we know that the largest uh, reductions uh, can be attributed to the energy sector and um, Auto emissions. So that was a huge victory in uh, implementation of
2: AB32. Absolutely, and and you know everybody hopes that this you know greener, cleaner California vision um, will continue on past Governor Schwarzenegger's term. Uh, unfortunately, he's going to be termed out, but. Um, you know, it really has helped to have his pedal to the metal, you know, have his foot on the accelerator. Right. Um, What do you you think specifically to the California Integrated Waste Management Board you will be able to accomplish in the next 18 months uh, with that assurance that his foot will be on the accelerator?
3: Well, you know, I think the uh, thing, you know, when everybody talks about the waste board, they think mostly of what goes into the landfill but I like to turn the, the discussion to more of what we do or the more important part of what we do, and that is diversion of waste from landfill to resources. And we really should be called the California Recycling Board. Um, the Waste Board um, handles 95% of recycling and waste diversion efforts in the state. And we do that in partnership with local governments and communities. And, you know, Jill, we've we've had such success over the last 20 years, but we've really seen the momentum over the last three to four years in increasing our diversion effort. And we were successful last year in changing the way we calculate to a disposal-based system, so we really look at reducing our disposal rather than calculating how much diversion there is. It's a, it's a really hard concept for people. But, you know, I think that recycling um, in California and people – now it's a behavioral change that we've we've seen over the last 19 years since AB 939 was passed but people really you know are recycling in California and we have many cities who have made such significant strides and are in the 60 to 70 percent range um, for mm-hmm. waste diversion and I see that as our top priority. That's the one thing that we know an individual can do to contribute to reduction in climate.
2: Well, and after this commercial break, I'd really like to talk to you about some of those superstar cities that you mentioned. We really do have some pretty amazing role models. Uh, that would be great to see those efforts replicated across the nation. So, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with more with Chairman Margot Reed-Brown of the California Integrated Waste Management Board right
1: after these commercial breaks. News. 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 Opinion. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African American, just like you. So, here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get
0: your house when you can't pay us back.
1: What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad
0: Council
4: at 1 p.m. PST right here on the Voice America channel.
2: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but
1: how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what?
3: You
4: know,
1: desks, chairs, people,
2: grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, uh, uh! There you go.
1: You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1 888 200 4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Well, welcome back to Bill Green Radio. We have a fantastic guest for you this week. We always have fantastic guests, but this is a special show. We've got the chairman of the California Integrated Waste Management Board, Margot Reed Brown with us. And just before the break, we were talking about some of the stellar California cities that have tremendous recycling rates, and we're going to dig in a little deeper to that issue because, you know, just as we saw the governor out in Washington, D.C., leading the way for auto emission standards that the president signed, um, California cities are leading the way when it comes to recycling rates. And so I want to talk to Chairman Brown about some of the California cities that have achieved tremendous recycling rates. I mean, we're looking at Los Angeles at 59%. San Jose, 62%, and that personally thrilled me because I named them the Go Green International City of the Year for my nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative, back in 2007. And then San Francisco announced recently that they're at 72%. Margo, how in the world are our California cities accomplishing such amazing rates? Tell us about what you know.
3: Well, it is amazing, Jill. If you think about what you generate in your house as far as waste and debris, um, to take 72% of that and to put it into a commodity or a secondary use um, rather than landfilling it, that is a tremendous effort. And I think the thing that distinguishes those cities um, apart from the others is innovative programs and especially commitment of their citizens and their population um, because it really is... um, on the backs of the citizens during, you know, in the curbside recycling programs that have really gotten us a majority of the way there. AB 939, which was passed in 1989, required cities and county governments to divert 50% of their waste. And the only avenue they had to do that was through the implementation of curbside recycling. So by and large, a majority of Californians, I'd say, gosh, I don't have the specific number, but I'd say nearly 90% of Californians have curbside recycling um, where they actually have a separate can for waste and for recycling. Um, And Cities like San Francisco have just really pushed new programs. They have food waste collection in the city of San Francisco and and many of us have never even thought of that. Um, Mm -hmm. They worked with their um, industry partners and they're looking at biofuels and energy production from a lot of their organic material. So, you know, that's an innovative program. Um, San Francisco um, has done a waste generation study, looked at what was in there, debris, you know, things that were going to the landfill, and they came up with programs and new uses for those materials, and that's how they've been able to increase their efforts. They've looked at every part of the waste
2: stream as an opportunity
3: for a secondary use for those materials.
2: Well, I know that the formula for calculating a diversion rate, you know, by California standards is a little bit complicated. It's, <laughs> it's not just, you know, here's, what, here's the tonnage we produce and here's how much we recycle. Can you help our Go Green Radio listeners understand how the cities calculate their diversion rates before they go to the Integrated Waste Management Board for approval? Well, if I knew
3: that, I'd probably be uh, an engineer or a statistician because <laughs> it is complicated. Um, and that, Joe, actually was one of the reasons when we started talking to our local government partners and our industry people why we started about four or five years ago in looking at a new way to calculate California's success in recycling because it was a, it is a calculation and it's a formula based on waste generation study population, uh, several growth indicators, sales tax indicators, and a lot of those numbers aren't available for two years after um, the year that they report their numbers. So, um, you know, you calculate the sales tax and the number in the population, and there are several adjustment factors that go on after that, and it's based on a base year calculation of waste generation. And so, as you can tell, it's really complicated to come up with what they believe their diversion rate to be, and then um, our role in it is to come out and look at programs, program implementation, how successful those programs are, and really evaluate success on programs. And that's what um, SB 1016, which the governor signed into law last year did, is it focused on the programs that the cities and counties are actually on the ground doing to divert materials. And that's where San Francisco... San Jose, Los Angeles, as you mentioned, are setting themselves apart. They're looking at innovative new programs um, and new opportunities for those materials. Um, mm-hmm. So we, you know, we know that when you take a ton of debris to a landfill, it goes across the scale. They weigh it; those r- numbers get reported quarterly, put in a system. So we're looking at a much simpler, more timely, and accurate way to look at how pro- how successful programs are in the state. Rather than waiting two years to say, "Gosh, maybe that wasn't as successful," but you know, two years after the fact, it's almost not as as important to know whether a program was successful two years ago. You want to know on the ground right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I know that part of the equation because I I was trying to figure it out. I was on your (laughs) website yesterday. Good for you. (laughs) <laughs> and and trying my best but you know i'm i'm only human and there's a term called source reduction that's part of the equation so um you know it's 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 tonnage it's recycling rate but then there are points or somehow part of the metrics is source reduction efforts right what kinds of things can cities count toward source reduction in their diversion rate equation give us some examples of what source reduction Would look like well, I can I
3: can tell you what source reduction is, and that's uh, um, reducing your use of source material or um, you know using less of something. I can't tell you how I can't give you the specifics of how source reduction calculations are added to the diversion measurement system because um, it's a formula that's input in the computer, but you get certain points um, and credits. They're called diversion credits for, you know, different kinds of energy production um, and uh, different programs. But source reduction is what we look at as the highest part of the hierarchy, and it's not <laughs> generating waste in the first place. It's reducing your source material. So, you know, I, I like to look at it as um, when you go to the grocery store and you're looking for... Um, uh, a bulk item, you know, you want to buy more item with less packaging and you're reducing the source or you're looking at reducing volume in a plastic bottle, that is a perfect example of source reduction. I think uh, we've all seen the new uh, water bottles that have come out and they're like eco-shaped and they're 30% less plastic. That Mm -hmm. is a source reduction. They're reducing the amount of plastic going into their bottles. Source reduction. I
2: see. So could cities get, like, really creative and say, uh, we're emailing more, and therefore every email would have no. been a piece of paper, now it's an email, so that's source reduction? Could they be, you know, that it's, creative it's with it? That, it's not that
3: sophisticated. Um, source reduction is really how you're reducing material usage. Um, and uh, it's more based on waste generation and program implementation. So it's not as simple as something like um, reducing less paper usage. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the, the way we've um, calculated the diversion efforts over the last um, 19 years since um, 939 was passed is really obsolete. So we're looking at program implementation at the city. San Francisco has implemented a uh, new program in in the uh, jurisdiction for sharps and pharmaceutical waste um, mm-hmm. collection. that's an innovative program that's reducing hazardous waste going into the landfills it's making things safer in the city for both the citizens and and a lot of the times what we look at is the Um, operators and their employees and, you know, safe work environments for those people who are handling the waste. And that was one of the issues why the SHARPS legislation was passed because there was, you know, you never know whether it's a syringe for insulin or some other purpose. And if somebody gets pricked, then, you know, that's a terrible health hazard to a a worker. So the SHARPS legislation was really passed um, for that reason. And San Francisco has innovative collection programs and our efforts um, in that arena, as well as recently passed legislation by Senator Sumitian, to look at how to collect pharmaceutical waste. Um, that is unused medic medicine, um, you know, anything that you can't put down um, into your waterways. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you really can't throw pills in the landfill. The pharmaceutical industry recommends that you put it in a coffee can with coffee grounds and cover it, and bury, it and then send it to the landfill so that it doesn't leach into the groundwater. Um, I have great we know news that- for you on that.
2: Actually, um, there is a program that was started by our Go Green Initiative School of the Year last year in Pontiac, Illinois. And it dealt with that very thing. That program's been so successful that the governor of Illinois, and now it's spilling over into Indiana, have adopted this prescription uh, drug program, and it actually has involved energy from waste facilities. Okay. And actually, there are a lot of pharmaceutical companies who use energy from waste facilities to dispose of their uh, byproducts, but uh, we've actually been engaging uh, the public in these kinds of efforts. So maybe we can just export uh, the P2D2 program from Pontiac High School, and now the governor of Illinois has gotten a hold of it, and uh, maybe bring that to California. Maybe we can all work together on that. Well, folks, we're going to have more with Chairman Brown uh, from the California Integrated Waste Management Board right after these commercials. So don't go away. We'll be back with more Go Green Radio.
1: News. Opinion.
2: Can you
1: hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free. 1-866-472-5787. 866 472 5787 VoiceAmerica.com.
4: deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are pleased to be joined by the Chairman of the California Integrated Waste Management Board, Chairman Margot Reed-Brown. She's been talking to us about uh, a lot of great achievements that have happened over the past few years and the past few months here in California, and uh, I'm happy to share that with our Go Green Radio listeners across the country who may be uh, interested in replicating some of the things that, Margo and others at the California State EPA level have been implementing. Now, Margo, there has been a lot of talk about the ERP program that you guys have. In fact, I've been personally doing a lot of work with the Chinese and some U.S. supply chain professionals in the last few months talking about the concept of cradle-to-cradle responsibility. Help our Go Green Radio listeners understand that term, cradle-to-cradle, and what role the California Integrated Waste Management Board is playing to foster a cradle-to-cradle mindset in California.
3: Uh, Jill, you probably hit on one of the top issues on our priority list. You asked earlier about the next 18 months. Um, That is one of our top priorities, is really increasing the awareness and understanding Um, what extended producer responsibility is. And I think it's, you know, one of those scary things for uh, the business and manufacturing community. Um, But it maybe would be better termed and and we should have started with product stewardship, which really speaks to the cradle-to-cradle philosophy. And what that means is when you design a product uh, you need to look at the entire life cycle of it and design it not for disposal, but design it for another secondary use or safer disposal and and where it might be utilized again. Um, I think if you were to go way back into the generation of waste and curbside recycling and, and haulers back in the early day, you'd see that the reason that they were Created was to take away, you know, discarded coal and the waste that households generated years ago is way different than what we generate now. And we've really come, not just in California, but, you know, across the country, especially in the United States, as a disposal society. We look at disposal everything, you know, because it's easier and it's convenient. But it really is what's gotten us from 42 million tons of waste um, disposed in um, 1989, 42 went to the landfill, but we only generated about 52. Now, we are generating 91 million tons of waste. Granted, we're diverting 52 million of those, but we really haven't made much progress. So, And a lot of that is the disposal. So EPR looks at the entire life cycle of a product and how it's designed for cradle-to-cradle. It's not cradle-to-grave anymore. So EPR really um, asks a manufacturer to more safely design their products for end-of-life management.
2: And how do you all interface? I mean, kind of give us an idea of uh, do you have panel discussions with businesses or, you know, what's the actual infrastructure of the program that allows you to interface with the manufacturers? How does that work?
3: Well, you know we the where we started, we started this effort uh, nearly three years ago and contracted a study on product stewardship and products, and looked worldwide at programs that are being implemented in the European Union and our Canadian partners. And we had a series of workshops over a year, two years, um, and the integrated waste management board adopted a ex, an extended producer responsibility framework, which actually looked at a shared responsibility, across the board of a product rather than, you know, we have a lot of products these days that have been banned by the legislature for a variety of reasons, whether it's toxicity or, or whatnot. And um, a lot of the cost of and the burden for disposal of those is on the cities and counties, and they are strapped with millions of dollars annually to run facilities to house products that are banned from landfills, and there's no um, avenue or commodity market for them. Thinking of batteries, you know, alkaline batteries that were banned mm-hmm. several years ago. Um, mm-hmm. there's, you know, rechargeable batteries have a market for the material that's in them, so there's a recycling program for them. But there's no market for an alkaline battery. Paint is a great strain on local governments. We've been working with the paint product stewardship, the National Paint Coatings Association, for about 10 years. And they've done a lot in source reduction, reducing the amount of paint that they sell. They're trying to calculate for a homeowner exactly how much paint so that there's less material at the end of their project in mm-hmm. waste and discard. So, um, you know, we're trying to share the responsibility between the manufacturer, the retailer who benefits by the sale of that product, the consumer who needs it and has a responsibility to... Dispose of it properly, and the local government oftentimes is managing it. So it's trying to share the cost across the board and not have a disproportionate amount borne by a local government community. Because we know these days, especially with the economics, that they are strapped. Um, yeah. it's a very costly endeavor to you know manage these materials, and so we're just looking at spreading that shared responsibility across the board. So what the framework did, I'll give you a quick thumbnail. It created Mm -hmm. a scorecard where certain products would be evaluated for toxicity, disposal, their ability to work into an infrastructure program, um, and, you know, how much they're being disposed of in the landfill. And there's, you know, criteria would be set. Um, Once a material or a product is um, chosen, and none have been chosen, several have been talked about, like paint, Mm -hmm. um, carpet, things that are very difficult to manage, um, and we've even begun discussions with some of the manufacturers. But the manufacturer would have the opportunity to choose the program that worked best for them. They could bring it back themselves. They could create a third-party entity that managed that material. That entity could be a nonprofit. It could be a waste hauler that's a nonprofit. Or You know, there's a variety of ways that they are in the driver's seat in partnership with their local government and the retailer retail community to figure that out. There's a lot of programs that the retailers will take material back, send it back to the manufacturer, the manufacturer recycles and reuses component parts.
2: Well, and, you know, I think that this was actually sort of the idea behind Keep America Beautiful. When it was first instituted, there were a whole bunch of products. At that time, it wasn't as much about recycling as it was about litter. And there were certain companies that had their products littering, you know, the the roadways and the sidewalks of America, and they were getting a lot of bad press. Yeah. And so they banded together to create the Keep America Beautiful uh, organization with some, you know, really nature-loving folks, but the funding came from the companies whose products were all over the ground, and hence they started a litter abatement program on a national scale. So this isn't an unprecedented idea for manufacturers of goods that are winding up, you know, in our waste stream to be part of the solution. That is something that we did 50 years ago with Keep America Beautiful. So um, there's a precedence for that. Right, and, you know,
3: there there are a lot of companies out there who are doing the right thing. And I think that from a business perspective, what um, product stewardship does is it levels the playing field. So there's not a reward and penalty program or differentiation for businesses that do the right thing and those that don't. This levels the playing field. Everybody, you know, has a responsibility, but we're not telling you you have to do it this way. The other Mm -hmm. thing, Jill, that I find um, very gratifying is it's not another program to grow state government. This really puts things back in the private sector because we know a lot of times um, nonprofits and um, local community organizations can do these things much more efficiently and much more cost effectively. We talk mm-hmm. about the success of our e-waste program, and we've given out a hundred million dollars last year in e-waste repayments. And yet, that is a government-run program. That's an advanced disposal fee. It's extremely successful. We lead the nation in e-waste recycling. But you know, there there is it's a much more costly program than if um, you know some of the manufacturers. Um, had a third-party organization which took the component parts um, and and found markets for them themselves and reused rather than, you know, the government bureaucracy that goes along with the expansion of state government. You
2: know, well, anyway, and I, collect- I bet you you'd find very few taxpayers in California that would argue with you on that because I think any time you can keep things in the private sector, I mean... Even though, you know, I, I used to uh, be in the Navy and you're in government service. I mean, I, we could probably agree there are, there are some things that the private sector can just do better and more cost-effective than government, and that's certainly one of them. If manufacturers of the materials that we're trying to get rid of, I mean, they know what those materials are. They know what to do with them. They know how to recapture them and possibly put them back into other uses. um, It seems like a fair thing. Clean up your own mess. My mom taught me that when I was, you (laughs) know, five. (laughs) That's not a new concept. Now, speaking of cleaning up our messes, um, I saw on your website that the board just approved a a zero-interest loan to Kern County so that they can and clean up their mess, um, properly close down two of their landfills, which I think is great because we don't want to see landfills becoming health hazards to the community. Now, with the state budget situation as it is and the ripple effect down to county and city budgets, do you foresee this being more of a statewide need? I'm not sure how often or how frequently we retire landfills in California. Can you give us some information on that? Well, we currently have about
3: 252 landfills um, that we oversee that are currently open or uh, nearing closure and, and in closure, but we don't have that many that are in or nearing closure. Um, but it is a tremendous cost to local governments, um, and oftentimes they find themselves in the need of closing uh, prior to uh, when they had anticipated, because city governments as well as um, p- private companies put up financial assurance for closure and post-closure cost. And oftentimes, you know, they'll find themselves in an economic situation and for whatever reason they want to or need to close their landfill earlier and they don't have the funds available immediately to do that. So this landfill closure loan program um, provides low, zero interest loans to, to local governments to assist them in closing in a more timely fashion. Otherwise, they would just, you know, take care of the landfill. Um, let me make sure your listeners know we have a very rigorous program with our local enforcement agencies to inspect landfills regularly and ensure that landfills are operated safely and um, that they're posing no threat to, to public health and safety. That is our first and foremost um, responsibility and mission at the board is to ensure public health and safety. So that, that program exists. Um, closure is a series of um, events and things that need to occur, with a final cover on the landfill and, and things like that that can be very costly. So this will help them close the landfill officially.
2: Well, and and it's not just a you know a. a government giveaway it's a loan it's a zero interest loan so it's all fair and it's just a way of moving public money around to where it's needed and and uh that's good management of assets of taxpayer assets so okay. if that's we're fair going to be loans. back in yep. just a few moments with the final segment of go green radio today with chairman of the california integrated waste management board Margot reed brown so don't go away we'll be right back with more go green radio
1: Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com.
0: Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote. And then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder.
4: Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: Interstate Sportsman Talk
1: Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join host Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are so pleased to have the Chairman of the California Integrated Waste Management Board with us today, Chairman Margot Reed Brown. Uh, right before the break, uh, we were talking about closure of landfills and and the board's uh, help to local governments in that regard. And I didn't give a ch- give uh, Margot a chance to finish her thought on that. Margot, there was something more that you wanted to share with us regarding, uh, first of all, the importance of properly closing landfills for public health purposes, but also how the funding works in that regard.
3: Yeah, actually, thank, thanks, Joe. I just wanted to close that thought by mentioning to your listeners it's a 10-year loan, so it does come back um, to the board um, to go into new programs um, uh, to help other communities. But this money, um, the board's funds are not general fund dollars. These are funds that are paid um, during the tip fee. And it's all specially funded to go into programs to help diversion efforts, landfill maintenance, and closure. So none of the money that the board expends in programs are used um, from general fund. So uh, they're specifically for this purpose, and it, it doesn't, you know, in, in, in any way enter into the discussion about, um, you know, the budget cuts that we're having to see made here in Sacramento.
2: I see. Well, that's good to know. And I think a lot of our, especially California listeners, will certainly appreciate that um, as we go through the budget situation that we are currently. Um, So I think that's terrific. Now, you and I had a conversation, gosh, it was back in December. And at that point, the global economic downturn was in full swing. And we saw quite a tremendous impact on the recycling industry here in California. And I wanted to revisit that with you and ask you, how are things going now? At that time, there were things being stockpiled. Paper wasn't uh, shipping out to China the way that it normally does. Uh, where are we at with that these days? Well, I think
3: as we've seen the market, uh, stock market come back, you can see the ripple effect coming back into our commodity markets. Um, it's certainly not at the height that it was. But we see things leveling off a little bit, and I think the anxiety has um, uh, dissipated a little bit. Um, I think there is concern still that, you know, we cannot be so heavily reliant on one particular market for our commodities. So we are looking at market development and expansion of programs here um, in California, but also looking to our regional partners to work with, especially on things like EPR and e-waste but it is getting better. We um, finished with our third series. I think I mentioned to you a series of three uh, workshops that we were doing on commodity markets. We had um, our haulers come in, and then we had some of the commodity brokers come in in our second panel in January. And then our third panel was in April. And we brought in the end users to really inform the board in the process about um utilization of those materials and what they were doing. Um, Walmart's really pushing the envelope quite a bit in looking at recycled content products and what they can do to help stabilize the market and really push to use more recycled content materials and source reduce um, at their level um, with their uh, uh, providers, you know, their manufacturers. Um, Starbucks came in and they spoke about um, they're coming up with um, recycling programs in their stores throughout the country and the world and they're looking at a new recycled content cold cup. And so they had a cold cup congress at the beginning of May up in Seattle. So we really have companies that are environmentally sensitive and concerned that are looking at ways that they can take their materials and make them better. They can use more recycled content material in their products, um, therefore closing that loop. You know, you're taking it out of the landfill and and using it once again for a higher and better use.
2: Well, and I think that was one of the things that became glaringly obvious that we really, really had to have some domestic markets for our recycled content opportunities, for recycling opportunities. If our if our entire recycling industry was based on Exports to countries who may or may not be able to continue that stream—that uh, that you know—it's interesting because position. I'm sorry. You'll go right ahead. I was going to say I think
3: you've hit on a button that that uh, another one of the board's priorities that I think is really important and and that's uh, developing regional and local markets. And it's the waste board, we have a very aggressive recycling market development zone loan program where we give low interest rate loans loans to businesses to help foster um, new manufacturing with recycled materials. And they're low-interest loans similar to a bank, and we just passed a huge hurdle last fall in giving out our $100 million, the, you know, we passed the $100 million mark in giving out loans since the inception of the program. And these are really innovative businesses that can't go on the traditional banking market to find a loan because it's unproven, taking, you know, discarded materials and and creating new products. But it's been tremendously successful.
2: Well, and what I'd love to see is, you know, for us to do a little dumpster diving, you Mm -hmm. know, go into the waste stream, see what, you know, we really need to pull out and, and, and really try to get some innovative thinking going around. I could even see college students probably coming up with great solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we say, you know, guys, the, these are the top five materials we really need to pull out of the waste stream. What can we do with this stuff? And give it to UC Berkeley or give it to USC and say, hey guys, you know, in the, the chemical or the, you know, electrical engineering, you know, schools and say, we're going to give the school a grant if you guys can figure out a safe product that could be made from this stuff, and then, yay, become the the Bill Gates of your generation and start the business that does it. I well, mean, that would be some yeah. You I know what? It's fun and it's
3: regional. I'll go dumpster diving with you. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I'm I know we're running short on time, but the 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 event that most hit me was the uh, gentleman whose business put us over the top, and he was a waste hauler picking up silicone discards from Silicon Valley, you know, the manufacturer of the computer sure. industry. And he took that material, and he came up with a product, and he shopped and shopped and couldn't find a loan. So the waste board gave him a loan, and he has now sold his company. He takes the silicone and manufactures solar
2: panels. Oh, my gosh. Companies That's amazing. That's amazing. Yep, That's And he was a waste hauler prior to that. He was a hauler. That. He was a local mom and pop, you know,
3: went from business to business, and he would take the silicone, and he saw this as a commodity. But you're right, Jill. Let's challenge our best and brightest. Um, we've done that a little bit with green chemistry and, you know, tried to get them to look at safer chemicals. Um, we're engaging the educational level of our state to try and come up with safer chemicals, and we should have them come up with products from
2: discards. Well, and you know what? I mean, we have some brilliant young minds that are just dying to to put their their activism and their idealism about environmental protection into good use. And I I just feel like wow, what an opportunity we could have uh to really take this to their generation and maybe even solve problems we didn't even think about. Um, They're such a great resource. Um, You know, there's another thing I want to mention. I just I love your website so much, and I actually learned something new that I didn't know before. You have some really cool public service announcements on your website, and uh, I hope people will check out your website to see all that you offer. It's www.ciwmb.ca.gov. Thank you, Margo, for joining us, and folks, Please join us next week for more Go Green Radio. Thanks, Jill. Thank you.